Today we're going to jump right back in where we left off last week. So we've started a mini-series for Christmas. It's called The Signs of the Season. And we've been trying to remind ourselves of things that are true based on different symbols from the season. And so if you can help me out here, two weeks ago we started this and we talked about the evergreen. What do we know about the evergreen? It's always green, so it's evergreen, right? So it never weakens, it never changes, and it never ends. And we talked about that in the form of the Christmas wreath. And so if, the, if you're here and you weren't here that Sunday, the Christmas wreath is distinctly and specifically Christian. Now, the Christians didn't come up with the wreath, but they decided that they wanted a reminder at Christmas time to point them to Christ. And so they formed a wreath, and it was said early on, if you held a wreath, had a wreath in your front window or front door, it meant that Christ had entered your home. And so what a great way to witness to a neighbor here uh, this holiday season. You see a wreath on their front door, you might knock on their door and talk to them, hey, I didn't know you were a believer. Maybe they would say, well, I'm not. You could say, well, why are you hanging a Christmas wreath on your door then? And it gives you an opportunity to share the gospel that way. So the Christmas wreath. We also talked about how many wreaths have these little red dots in them, berries. That's distinctly Christmas, distinctly Christian as well. So Walmart didn't come up with this idea. Home Depot said, hey, we need money during the slump, and so we're going to sell decor. No, this is distinctly Christian. And so those little berries represented drops of blood through which we get to be a part of the never-weakening, never-changing, never-ending kingdom of God. And you'll find that in Isaiah chapter 9. Last week we were talking about uh, the candles of Christmas. So we had the colors of Christmas, red and green color, uh, candles of Christmas last week. We were reminded that the Christmas tree was started by Christians. And a man brought in a Christmas tree. He wanted his family to be amazed as he was about the light that must have been shining that first Christmas night. And, and so he decorated it with candles. So we don't decorate our tree with candles today, but we do decorate with lights. So wherever you see a lit Christmas tree, that is distinctly Christian. It traces, root, it traces its roots back to people who wanted to re be reminded that the light of the world had come in the midst of darkness and it provided hope. And so he's still changing lives just like we sung about here this morning. That was what we worked through last week. And so today we're going to look at the candy of Christmas. And we're going to pass some of these out. So if you guys want to help pass this out. This will also be distinctly Christmas as they're coming around. Um, but as these girls are coming here. Go ahead, Miss Alyssa. You want to help me? Cody, you want to help? Nope. Okay. So I want you to think about... Um, a Christmas candy. Is there a specific Christmas candy that comes to mind other than what you're receiving that you always look forward to this time of year? And feel free to share that with us. <clears throat> I think I heard you say anything chocolate. Is that distinctly Christmas or is that any time of the year? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else, is there a specific candy that you think of or something that you like to have around Christmas time? Candy cane, ma'am? Chocolate covered cherries? Okay. I heard somebody else say something. Oh, cookies? All right, Christmas cookies. Divinity? Okay. What? Milk? You got to have milk with cookies, right? Okay. 
So divinity, that's kind of, is that the white? Yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like heaven in your mouth. Is that what it's called, divinity? Okay. Somebody else, when you think of Christmas candy, what do you think of? Is there a specific one that comes to mind? Like, oh, I always want to have this this time of year. Orange slices? Okay. Oh, the ribbon candy? Yes, ma'am, yeah. Fudge? Yeah. Peanut, oh, here we go. Ball's rolling now. Peanut brittle. Fudge. Ribbon candy. Divinity. Chocolate-covered cherries. This is what you're all making for one another for the Christmas season, right? We can expect this with our cards. Anybody else? Something that is uniquely Christmas. Yeah. That's a, uh, I don't know what that's called. Maybe you've seen them. They're uh, plastic wrap. They're kind of a soft chew. They're kind of white color, and they've got the Christmas tree printed on them. I like those. And so I'll usually get a bag, and I eat one a year. <laughs> the rest turn hard as rocks. As a child, I remember, the, you know those little strawberry candies? They're wrapped to look like a strawberry. You know, sometimes we have them out here in the bowl. That was my favorite candy as a kid. And so we used to just get it at Christmas time. And every year in our stocking, I'd always reach in and pull out a handful of that candy. And so when I think of Christmas and candy, I think of that as a child. That was one of my favorites. So all sorts of candies here. And listen, people will be making all sorts of stuff. And I don't know why it ever started, but it seems like candy is definitely connected to Christmas. Right? People pass out trays of candy. They set out bowls of candy, um, all sorts of candy being made in homes and shared in neighborhoods and churches and schools and all that sort of stuff. And so let's talk here a little bit about candy and as it specifically relates to Christmas. And I want to talk specifically today about this candy right here. And so this is known as the candy cane, right? And it has its roots in uh, things that are definitely Christian. Um, so you've probably heard some stories about the candy cane, and some of these are unverified. They're fantastic in what they remind us of, but it, it may not be exactly why the candy was started the way it was, and so we always want to say things that are true. However, there's no reason that we couldn't adopt it today and look at that and use it that way, right? So just like I wear this little bracelet, it says Igbok. It means nothing to you, but it means something to me, and it's a reminder to me. Right Above the doorway going out of my office, there are six letters, B-Y-S-S-I-W, because that's a reminder to me. And so when I walk out into this world, I'll do what you've asked me to do. But because you say so, I will. And so we need reminders in our life, and specifically this time of year because it gets so cluttered. Right? So we've got students who are studying for finals, and they've got several finals. And it's easy to go a week or two weeks, and you just kind of miss out on what's going on around you. Or we hustle past Christmas trees, and we forget that the light of the world is all around us. You know, it's in Walmart, it's in Home Depot, it's in Target, it's in Lowe's. Everywhere you look, go down your road and you see Christmas trees lit up out in people's front yards. That's just, it means the light of the world has come. Now, they may not mean that, but that's why it all started. You see Christmas trees. So, it's all around us. So, I think it's good for us to remind ourselves, and we're trying to do that here with the candy canes. Now, one story said back in like the 70s, there was a man from Indiana who wanted to create kind of a Christmas witness, and so he took the candy cane, 
and uh, created this thing. And he supposedly created it in the shape of a letter J. J would stand for Jesus, okay? And supposedly he created it out of a hard white candy. And the white was supposed to represent purity. So purity like of the Virgin Mary or purity of Christ. He was sinless. The hardness was supposed to represent the rock who is Christ and the foundation of the church and the promises of God. Uh, you'll look on your candy cane and you'll see the small stripes. And so some said the small stripes were there to remind us of Jesus being beaten or the scourging that he endured. Uh, and then the larger red stripe there was to remind us of the blood that was spilled out so the eternal life could be offered. All that sounds great, right? Okay, but much of that is not verified historically. So it's kind of passed on like, hey, I heard it this way. And not that it was inaccurate. It just means we can't really trace that back. Uh, there's also a candy maker in Georgia. And there are some similarities between the stories there of how this was made. Um, but if we go back before the United States, you can track this little piece of candy right here. Now you'll track it without the red coloring on it. But you will find it as far back as 1670. Pretty good ways, right? Almost 350 years ago, there were people sitting in churches like this today without electricity and the things that we know, but they had live nativity during the Christmas season. And so they would have shepherds, and they would have a Mary and a Joseph, and they would have a baby, and they would have all these animals there. Well, what is not different today than it was then is children, right? And so when you have children somewhere and you're trying to get them to sit still for an extended amount of time, does that typically work? No, it's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, when I was a child, I acted like a child. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's how I'm built. And so one of the choir masters from uh, one of the cathedrals over in Europe decided that he was going to come up with a way to keep these children quiet. And so he was the choir master at Cologne Cathedral. And to try to get fidgety kids to sit still, he created a sugary treat that would occupy their mind while the nativity was going on, but he also wanted them to have a connection between what they were eating and the nativity. So this can be the letter J, but specifically this was created as, as a shepherd's staff. Okay? So the candy cane, or the candy stick, as it was called in 1670, would have been all white, and it was shaped with this curve, to help children settle down at Christmas time to observe the nativity and to remind them of the shepherds that came, to remind them of the work of a shepherd. And so we're going to try to use this little candy of Christmas today, this sign of the season, to help point us to things that are true as it relates to Christ and this time of year. So we're going to just start in Luke chapter 2. Um, we were going to be in Isaiah 53, and we'll touch that a little bit. But Luke 2, we're going to talk here about the shepherds this morning. Uh, and you can follow along today if you'd like on the wall or the text is in your Bible as well. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. All right, you'll be able to find it there. So here we've got the story of the birth of Christ and the shepherds. We're going to pick it up with the shepherds coming uh, or shepherds hearing from the angels. Okay, so uh, let's just go ahead and read and we'll track from there. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as you and I would be also. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. All right? So a few things that we'll note as it relates to this candy of Christmas dealing with shepherds. All right? So we're reminding ourselves here of things that are true um, according to this little staff that you have in your hand there this morning. And by the way, these have tracked from Europe, and they're worldwide now. Uh, they started hanging them on trees after that 1670 as just kind of a decoration, and they've made their way around. Maybe some of you have these on your tree, um, but it's worldwide. It's kind of neat how stuff just spreads like that, isn't it? You remember somewhere along the way there was a church that decided it was a good idea to go to people who couldn't come to them, and so they bought buses and decided they're going to start tracking through neighborhoods to pick up kids to bring them to church. Okay? Did we come up with that? We didn't. But has this church employed that before? Yeah. We've had vans that go out and pick people up. So, and that's worldwide. We'll travel to you. And so somewhere somebody gets an idea and says, hey, this is good. It works for our church. And it just spreads. And so somewhere a guy was like, man, we've got to get these kids to sit still, but we want them to catch part of the story as well. How about we give them a candy stick that looks like a shepherd's staff who knew that they'd be marketed worldwide as the candy of Christmas. And yet here we are today talking about the symbolism that's all around us that can point us back to Christ. And so three things we'll highlight today. Number one is this, the gospel. When you think of the candy cane, when you think of a shepherd's staff, shepherds in particular, it reminds us that the gospel's for all people. The gospel's for all people. And so let's get into this a little bit. The shepherds tended to be people who were easily forgotten. Okay? These were guys who didn't come in for lunch. They didn't come in for supper. They didn't clock in and clock out. Uh, they didn't show up at holiday parties. They just stayed out in the fields. And really, that's where society wanted them to be. Why? When you're around sheep all day and you're in the outdoors all day and you're sweating all day, you probably wouldn't want to be around other people. And I would be kind for you not to be around me as well. You know, just go ahead and Keep your stench to yourself. We'll try to connect in some other way. And so the shepherds were viewed as outcasts, especially by the religious people, right? Because they could not and they would not attend any of the Sabbath services. And so the religious elite thought if you're not attending Sabbath and following Sabbath rules, then you're not God honoring. We don't want anything to do with you. And so they were viewed as rejects. They were viewed as outcasts. They were just typically forgotten in society. Nobody thought very highly of the shepherd. So why would the announcement of the Messiah come to shepherds? And wouldn't it make more sense to send that to somebody who could just cry it out quickly? Why not to the royalty? Why not to the king or the emperor? Why not to the religious leaders? Why come to the outcasts, the rejects, the ones that nobody would typically listen to? Well, we just read it in Luke chapter 2. Let's go back and read this here again. Verse 10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will cause great joy for whom? For all the people. Right? And all the people includes all the people that society rejects. All the people includes the, the people that society no longer thinks about. Those who are outcasts. Those who would seem unworthy. Right? So it wasn't just for the religious elite. It wasn't just for those who were royal. It wasn't just for those who were educated. 
right? It wasn't just for those who could make their way to a certain location on a specific day. It was for all people for all time. And so here we see the gospel. Jesus said, I've come to bind up the wounds of those who are broken. I've come to heal the sick. I've come to work with those who are poor. I've come to minister to the orphan and the widow, all right? So we see him always working his way from those that society tends to cast out. So when you look at this candy cane, it reminds us that there were shepherds on that night a long time ago standing out in a field, right, keeping watch by night. That's just what they were doing. And all of a sudden, this host or this angel appears to them and pronounces to them the birth of this Messiah, and the world will never be the same. And so you can look here at the shepherds and see, though you may be rejected by society, you would be welcomed with Christ. Though you may be cast out as a sinner, as despicable, um, you are still welcomed under the grace of Christ. So the gospel is going to spread for all people, including those who are considered as lost or unreachable. So God wants everybody to know this Christmas joy. So initially when you think of a shepherd's staff, when you think of the candy cane, just remind yourself of the shepherds that came, the gospel's for all people. There's not a person on the planet that Jesus didn't come for. All right, secondly here then this morning, when you think of the candy of Christmas, it's going to remind us of God's care and of God's protection over his children. And we're going to talk about the candy cane here as it relates to the staff at this point. So shepherds at the manger, all right, remind us the gospels for all. Let's talk about what they were carrying with them. Typically, a shepherd would have had a rod and a staff. The rod was typically built for defense. And so it's what would uh, be used to fight off like wolves or wild dogs. It's what a shepherd would use to beat a thicket, to maybe flush out a snake, something that could bring harm to his sheep. Uh, it was something that was for discipline, right? So if uh, something was, a sheep was disobedient, so to speak, then a rod could be used to correct and discipline that sheep. So you've got a rod in one hand. It's typically shorter, more of a blunt, heavier object, right? Something that could be thrown, something that a shepherd would have worked with very carefully to be able to protect the sheep. Um, but then you've got, in the other hand, you've got a staff. And a staff would have been very carefully hand-selected. It would have been carved to fit the hand of the shepherd. It would have been formed around the neck just like this is here so that it could easily slip around the neck of a sheep. And we'll talk about why here in just a minute. But one of the famous shepherds of the Bible, what's his name? David. Right? David was a pretty famous shepherd, at least how we remind ourselves of him. Psalm 23, David starts out saying, the Lord is my... Okay, so he's going to talk to us about his relationship with God, his understanding of who God is through his experience in life. David, as a shepherd boy, knew what it was to care for sheep, and he had experienced from God shepherding. And so as he thought of his God, he says, you know what? The Lord is like I was to these sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. And the result is I have everything I need. In verse 4, here's what he says. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your what? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so a shepherd carries with him a rod for protection, for discipline, but he carries a staff for a different reason. And so a few of these we'll highlight today as the shepherd wrote in Psalm 23. What's the reason for a shepherd's staff? Well, 
One reason was a shepherd would use that staff to draw sheep close to himself. So sometimes sheep would kind of stay away, maybe within arm's reach, but they wouldn't get close enough for him to reach down and check them out. So as a shepherd, you'd look at these. The Bible talks about there are people who are shepherd, and then there are people who are hired workers. The hired worker doesn't care for the sheep. He's just getting paid, right? He's just just doing it to collect a paycheck. And that way when the enemy comes or when people are attacked, what's the hired worker do? He flees because he doesn't care for the sheep. And then the sheep get attacked and they're mauled and there's all sorts of struggle and problems there, okay? That's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about people who not only find their living from these sheep, but they love these sheep. They're invested in them. This is life. And so they would have a deep interest in the health and well-being of these sheep. So a long staff could reach out and hook around the neck of a sheep and draw that animal close to the shepherd. And as that animal was close, now the shepherd has the ability to look over that sheep and to see if there are any wounds, to see if there is any infection, right? to see if there's any need that needs to be addressed in that sheep. And he would do this continually with all of his sheep. Pretty big job, right? Because he has an interest there. And we do this with our children, don't we? You draw your children in sometimes, or you draw your grandchildren in sometimes, and you just check and make sure all right, they're not hurt too bad, and that cut's not too deep. You know, it's not requiring any more kind of medical attention. We're just making sure that everybody's okay, just kind of checking them out, watch how they eat, watch how they walk, making sure they're growing like they should be because we love and care for them. A shepherd felt the same way towards his sheep. So when you think about a shepherd's staff, initially one of the things you can think of is how you've got a Savior who was born, who draws us close so that he can work with us who are wounded. And so he can minister to our brokenness and to our needs. And so he's not a God who's far off, who's got a hand out saying, I'm not going to get any closer to you. No, he's always at work trying to draw us in tight to check and see where we have need, what we have need of. His staff, David says, is of comfort to us. And so it could initially be used as something to draw close. A staff was also used to guide sheep and how they were to go. And so I was watching some videos here this week. Our pastor in Nashville wanted to know what it was like to be a shepherd. So he ended up buying two sheep, putting them in his backyard in the middle of the city because he wanted to understand what's it like to be a sheep. And one of the things he learned was that sheep have to be guided because they'll just wander like crazy. And so he would go out and he could guide them. He'd use his leg or he'd use, he had a staff and he would guide them that way as well. And however he put pressure on them, that sheep would respond because they trusted their shepherd. So one of the ways a staff was used as well, if the sheep was heading a direction that was unsafe or a direction that the shepherd didn't want them to go, it wasn't good for them, then he could place that on their side of their rib cage, put a little pressure on that sheep, and it would direct that sheep where that sheep should go. Okay? We have a shepherd that lives in us. He's the Holy Spirit, and he works to press us or to guide us in the way that we should go. And so there's a connection between um, the shepherd's staff, not only as binding our wounds or healing our brokenness, but also as the one who wants to guide us in the way that is correct or the way that is right. Oftentimes as well, the staff would have been used for protection. So when a sheep had made a poor decision, if a sheep can, I'm not sure how that works in their mind, but it's said of sheep that they'll go find grass anywhere and they'll go get the smallest patch of grass anywhere. 
I was reading this one man who was a shepherd, said his sheep went to a cliff because there was a small patch of grass. They got the grass and they were stuck. And they tried to get off this little ledge and they ended up falling in the sea. And he said, the only way I could get my sheep out of the sea was with my staff. And so I hooked that sheep around its neck and I drugged that sheep up the side of that little cliff that had uh, fallen down and I had protected and saved my sheep. He said, other ways my sheep get caught, they get caught in like briars or in like thickets. You ever been in a thicket? I find myself often in thickets when I'm scouting around and your clothes are just constantly just caught. I mean, just everywhere, just everything's just kind of, you feel like you're just stuck, like everything's just kind of coming in on you. And this shepherd said that often his sheep would push their way into a thicket because they saw some grass, they'd go eat the grass, but then they couldn't get out because those thorns and those briars and all those little limbs would get caught up in their wool and they would just stand there. And if there were no shepherd, that sheep would just stand there and ultimately, what? It would ultimately die because it couldn't get out if there weren't a shepherd to rescue it. And so one of the ways the shepherd uses his staff as well, it's to draw those out who are entangled. You ever been entangled in your life? Remember Hebrews 12, it tells us to set aside those things that so easily entangle us, right? And so we've got a, a shepherd who works in these ways. We've got a shepherd who works to heal our brokenness and to bind our wounds. We've got a shepherd who works to guide us. We've got a shepherd who works to help us get out of the messes that we get ourselves into. That doesn't mean he removes the consequences. It just means that he's there to continue to help provide rescue or release or protection. And so when you think of a candy cane, you can look at that and you can put it in your mouth and you can suck on it and say, oh man, that's sweet, tastes good, give me another one. And never think about the shepherds who went to the manger and never think about the purpose of a staff. Or you can look at that and let yourself be reminded of these things that are true about God. Right? That the gospel's for everybody. That's why in part it came to the lowliest of the low. That Jesus works to bind up the wounds of the broken, and we're all living proof of that. How He's healed our broken hearts, or how He's restored us from our sin, or how He's replaced our worry or fear with His peace and comfort. We've got all sorts of ways to be thankful as we look at this little piece of candy as a staff. So that's two here this morning, God's care and protection over His children. And then third and last here today, let's talk here for a few minutes about how this uh, helps us stay connected and relates to who God is. And so the candy of Christmas reminds us of the relationship that those who believe share with the good shepherd. So of all the shepherds that are mentioned in Luke chapter 2, there's one that stands out above them all. Who is it? It's Jesus. So did you ever think about there's a good shepherd there among all these other shepherds? And we think of a baby being born or a Messiah being born, but what was being born that would walk the planet was a shepherd. And he was going to function as a shepherd. He was going to share the gospel for all people. He was going to work to do everything we just talked about the staff works to do. He is our good shepherd. You know, some people knew Jesus as the son of a carpenter, and that's why people in his hometown wouldn't receive him as the Messiah, right? Jesus started telling them and performing miracles, and they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, who is this? You know, this is the guy they played kick the can with or whatever game they played back in the day, kickball. This is the boy that lived right down the road from them, 
Right? This is just Mary and Martha's son, or, or Mary and Joseph's son. This isn't the Messiah. And so they didn't view him as anything other than just a regular old person. Jesus had brothers who felt the same way. Right? You're just like we are. There's nothing special about you. Uh, most of them didn't believe he was the Messiah. Some of them did later, and they've written some books in the Bible. But there was some hesitancy there about seeing him as anything other than just a person like they were. And yet one of the great descriptive names of the Bible for Jesus is that he's our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And so let's go here and we'll look at four different passages out of the New Testament. Beginning in Matthew chapter 2. And this is prophecy being ultimately fulfilled. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you're by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right? And so we see Jesus being prophesied. Jesus coming as fulfillment of this prophecy is that he's coming as a shepherd. You remember when Jesus looked on Israel and he was moved with compassion for them because they wouldn't receive him. Right? He said, I look at you and you people look like sheep. How? Without a shepherd. Right? I'm the shepherd and I've come for you just like prophecy said and you've rejected me and I can see it in all your ways. You're living just like sheep without a shepherd. In John chapter 10, John writes of Jesus and says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just a few verses further. I'm the good shepherd, talking of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Have you guys seen the video? There's a few of them out there, but there's a video of some tourists. They're in a foreign country that are trying to call the sheep, the, the farmer's sheep, to them. All right? Uh, if you haven't seen it, you need to check that out. Basically how it works is this. There's a group of tourists, maybe 20 people. There's a fence. There's a hillside. There are sheep grazing all over this hillside, maybe 50, 75 yards away. And the farmer or the shepherd, we'd call him a farmer today, but the shepherd of the day, would ask them, hey, try to call those sheep and make them come to the fence. One by one, they step up to the fence and they start calling like how we call cats. You know, hee, 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 all right? Or how you call cats. We don't have cats. And so that's how they're trying to treat these sheep. And they're speaking in a language that I can't understand. And then they start laughing like, because it seems so silly. These sheep don't budge at all. They don't lift their head. They just keep right on grazing. Over and over and over again, they come up and nobody can make these sheep move at all. And so the farmer steps up to the fence and he begins to speak and he calls them. And it's amazing. I mean, when he speaks, initially there's just like five heads that pop up and look. And they just stare at him. And then he does it again. And then there's five or ten more heads that come up. And then he does it again. And all these sheep just come running right there to the fence. And they're, I mean, from me right here, this close. They're just right there. And all these people are like, wow, this is amazing. I was going to show it to you. It's got a little bit of language in it. But it, the, the point of it is, is that's how Jesus knows us. Right? He calls us by name. We are his he knows our voice, and the sheep are to know his voice as well. There's another video of a farmer. He's doing the same thing, standing out in a field on a foggy hill. And he's calling, calling, calling for about a minute, and all of a sudden you see these sheep come running. And they're gathered around him, 
And at the end of the video, he's standing there and he's just smiling. And the, um, somebody's recording him, a, a lady. And she said, Farmer, what do you have to say? And he just smiles real big. And he said, the sheep know my voice. Right? The sheep know my voice. And I know theirs. And the person recording goes, I'm at. And he smiles great big. He says, ah, I'm at. It's just like, that's awesome. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of what it is to be a, a sheep under the good shepherd. Right? He knows us by name. We sing that song here periodically. He knows my name. And we can know his voice as well. And so here Jesus said it very specifically. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. The author of Hebrews writes and says of Jesus, Now may the God of peace, this doxology, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. So you've got the good shepherd in John 10. You've got the great shepherd here in Hebrews 13. And then in 1 Peter 2, For you were like sheep going astray. We read this this morning as part of our scripture reading. In Isaiah 53, You were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so when you look at that little piece of candy, you can think, hmm, my stomach's growling. That sounds good right now. Or we can pause for a minute and think about what this symbolizes. We can try to be drawn back to that period 1670 where a guy was thinking, how can we remind people of what it means to be ruled with a staff, governed by a staff? What it means about this good shepherd, this great shepherd who was born, what it means so that when he came, he would bring healing and he would bring guidance. He would bring clarity. He would bring everything, protection, all the things that are necessary for life here. And so as you read through those verses, you see this good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. You see a good shepherd who knows them by name. You see a good shepherd who was promised to come, and he has come. And he's continuing to shepherd people to this day. You see this good shepherd who is reaching out with this gospel, stretching it all across the world so that all may know may be able to live under his shepherding. We see that we can have this relationship that is only available to us through the birth of a good shepherd. So as you think about this candy cane here, I just want you to think maybe some of these things that we've talked through today. I don't know if you have been doing this, but I do this almost every day now. When I sit down for my quiet time in the morning, I sit right across from our Christmas tree. And so I sit there, and before I read, I look at that, and I go, and it's evergreen. And it shines bright. And it reminds me of those things that we've talked about in the previous two weeks. And for me, today, I'm going to go home and hang this candy cane on my tree so that when I look there, I have another reminder for me of who the Good Shepherd is, who He has been to me, what His promises are to me, and what that means for this world. And so yes, he can guide us. Yes, he hears us. Yes, he'll lead us. Yes, he can get us out of trouble because he is the good shepherd. And so my question for you here as we close is, if he's a good shepherd, is he your good shepherd? You know, Psalm 23, David wasn't interested in you or I. He wasn't interested in anybody else. He simply wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. That's how he functions for me. That's who I know him to be. That's what I live under. And so what I wonder today simply is, is the Lord your shepherd?